Today we're going to be looking at 1 Timothy chapter 1, verses 1 and 2. They're also on your bulletin, on the second page of your bulletin, the scriptures are, are listed. Before we move to Gypsum, during one of the interviews I had with the people at our church, I was asked what I knew about living in a rural farming community. I'm not sure of my exact words, but it was something like, I have no idea what it is to live in a rural farming community. Well, it's been my privilege over the last 11 months to begin to learn some things. And, and through conversations with Louie and Rod and Jeff and Kenny, Eugene, Tim and others, and, and see, seeing the cattle and the barns and the fields and the combines, I'm beginning to learn something about farm life. And one thing that has stood out the most is how much you have to know to be able to survive as a farmer. You have to know how to drive and operate a variety of different kinds of tractors, machines, and equipment. You have to know how to fix all those tractors, machines, and equipment when they all inevitably break down. You have to know when to till the ground, plant the seeds, and harvest the crops. You have to know how to store and transport and, and sell the crops. You have to know about rainfall and soil, and fertilizer. You have to know how to take down trees and put up fences. And if you have cattle, you also have to know how to deliver calves. You have to know what to feed the cattle and how to, or how to buy food for the cattle. You have to know where to put the cattle out to graze and how long to keep them in the fields. You have to know how to care for the cattle. You have to know how to sell the cattle. Not only that, but all Farmers have to know how to properly budget as farmers make a lot of money at certain periods of time and make no money at other periods of time and have to spend a lot of money on supplies and equipment. You can't just go out and do farming. You have to know how to do farming. And if you don't know how, then your efforts will end in frustration, failure, and complete disaster. If the Audis all decided to, to take a year-long vacation in Tahiti, and then gave me the responsibility to take care of their farm for that year, things would probably not go very well. I could try to figure out my own way of doing things, make up my own ways of farming. I could plant crops while the fields were covered with snow. I could plant beans, wheat, and corn all together in the same field. Rather than grass or hay, I could feed the cattle pizza and Cheetos. <laughs> I could put my, my four-year-old in charge of delivering the new calves. I could try to save money by letting the oil in my tractors and combines completely run dry before changing the oil. I could try and guess how to drive, hook up, run, and fix all the tractors and equipment on the farm. But in the end, when the Audis returned after that year from their vacation, they would come back to a field full of weeds, a bunch of broken down tractors, 
and a lot of dead cattle. Why? Because I don't know how to farm. I've been learning some things, but my farming knowledge is still so incredibly small that my attempts at farming would prove absolutely catastrophic. You can't just go out and do farming. You have to know how to do farming. Now that exact same principle applies to the church. You can't just go out and do church. You have to know how to do church. Doing church is not something that you just invent on the fly. It's not something that anyone can just make up. It's not something that takes zero study or experience. Like running a farm, running a church requires that you know certain things and that you follow certain guidelines and principles. If you don't know how to do church and you try to do things your own way, things will end in frustration, failure, and complete disaster. You can't just go out and do church. You have to know how to do church. Well, if you don't know how to do farming, the answer is to go and have the person who owns and runs a farm teach you how to farm. And in the same way, if you don't know how to do church, the answer is to have the person who owns and leads and runs the church teach you how to do church. And the good thing about that is that the ultimate owner and leader of the church is the almighty creator, God. God is in charge of the church. And in his great kindness, he has told believers how to organize and structure the church. He has told believers how to act and what to, what to focus on in church. He has told us what a church is supposed to be and what a church is supposed to do. God has told us how to do church. And today we have the great privilege of beginning our study of a book of the Bible that's main focus is telling us how God wants us to do church. In our world today, there's a lot of confusion about what a church is and about what a church is supposed to do. But today we're going to begin to find some answers. And those answers are not going to be some mystifying academic jargon meant only for scholars in towering universities. No. God has given clear, practical instructions that are readily understandable by normal people. And those instructions are going to open our eyes to the wonderful, life-transforming, divinely designed thing called the church. And with that insight, we will not only understand what the church is, what it does, how it's structured, how it's run, and what its purpose is, but we will come to understand how God wants to use the church to change our lives. With that, please look with me at 1 Timothy chapter 1, verses 1 and 2, as we begin our study of how 
to do church. 1 Timothy chapter 1, beginning in verse 1. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by command of God our Savior, and of Christ Jesus our hope, to Timothy, my true child in the faith, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. God, we thank you for your willingness to speak to us today. I ask that you would open our eyes, that you would open our hearts, that we would see wonderful things in your word, and that we would be changed. We thank you that you have given us directions about the church. Help us as we focus on those today. In your son's name we pray. Amen. Now, if you want to better follow along today, there's, there's an outline of our sermon on the back of your bulletin. <clears throat> the book of 1 Timothy is one of what is commonly called the pastoral epistles. First and 2 Timothy and Titus are three epistles, meaning three letters that Paul wrote to help some of his friends know how to run church and how to care for people in a church. As I mentioned earlier, 1 Timothy is not a, not a formal doctrinal paper. This is a, a personal letter that deals with practical issues that every church faces. Now, we're only going to walk through the first two verses today as these verses set the stage for what we're going to look at throughout the next few months. Today, we're going to examine the author, the person who wrote this letter, then look at the audience, who this letter was written to. Then we will look at the blessing that Paul gives and why that's significant. And we will end by, by briefly jumping ahead to a few verses in 1 Timothy that give us the purpose of the letter, that help explain why 1 Timothy was written. We'll spend most of our time on that first point, and then we're going to speed up after that. So let's dive in as we begin our study that gives us answers on how to do church. We begin by looking at the author, the author. 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 1. Again, it says, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by command of God our Savior and of Christ Jesus our hope. The writer of this letter was the apostle Paul. Now, this guy, Paul, is, is not an unknown figure in the New Testament, but is one of the main people talked about in the book of Acts and is mentioned throughout uh, many of the, the books of the New Testament. In fact, around half of the books of the New Testament were written by Paul. But Paul had a really rough beginning. He may be one of the most famous Christians in history, but he started out hating Christians and doing all that he could to oppose Jesus Christ. Paul, whose Hebrew name was Saul, was a, was a Jew who was part of a group called the Pharisees, which were the main religious teachers in Israel. The Pharisees were very strict rule followers. They loved following man-made traditions more than following the word of God. They had despised Jesus. 
They had rejoiced when Jesus was executed on a cross and they had done all that they could to persecute the followers of Jesus. And Paul, he'd been one of the worst persecutors. He did all that he could to bring harm to believers. But something happened. It says in the book of Acts that Jesus Christ supernaturally appeared to Paul. And Paul was changed. He was led to saving faith in Jesus. And God made Paul a preacher to the Gentiles. Please turn with me, if you would, to Acts 26. Or or just listen as we look at how Paul later described this miraculous event. In Acts 26, the Apostle Paul was being questioned by some of the the governing authorities as to who he was and what he'd been doing. And in Acts 26, Paul gives a brief description of his old life as a persecutor of Christians and how Jesus appeared to him, changed him into a preacher to the Gentiles and a messenger to non-Jews about the good news of Jesus. Paul says in Acts 26... Verses 9 to 23. He said, I myself was convinced that I ought to do many things in opposing the name of Jesus of Nazareth. And I did so in Jerusalem. I not only looked up many of the saints in prison after receiving authority from the chief priests, but when they were put to death, I cast my vote against them. And I punished them often in all the synagogues and tried to make them blaspheme. And in raging fury against them, I persecuted them even to foreign cities. In this connection, I journeyed to Damascus with the authority and commission of the chief priests. At midday, O king, I saw on the way a light from heaven, brighter than the sun that shone around me and those who journeyed with me. And when we had all fallen to the ground, I heard a voice saying to me in the Hebrew language, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? It is hard for you to kick against the goads. And I said, who are you, Lord? And the Lord said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. But rise and stand upon your feet For I have appeared to you for this purpose, to appoint you as a servant and witness to the things in which you have seen me and to those in which I will appear to you, delivering you from your people and from the Gentiles to whom I am sending you to open their eyes so that they may turn from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins and a place among those who are sanctified By faith in me. Therefore, O King Agrippa, I was not disobedient to the heavenly vision, but declared first to those in Damascus, then in Jerusalem, and throughout all the region of Judea, and also to the Gentiles, that they should repent and turn to God, performing deeds in keeping with their repentance. For this reason the Jews seized me in the temple and tried to kill me, To this day, I have had the help that comes from God, and so I stand here testifying both to small and great, saying nothing but what the prophets and Moses said would come to pass, 
that the Christ must suffer and that by being the first to rise from the dead, he would proclaim light both to our people and to the Gentiles. The writer of 1 Timothy was not born into a Christian home, was not always a faithful follower of Jesus, and did not have a squeaky clean past. Paul had been a violent persecutor of believers. But God saved him and turned him into a bold proclaimer of Jesus Christ. Paul's life is proof that God can save the worst of sinners. If you're sitting here today and you're feeling the weight of your guilt and your sin, have hope. God saved a violent persecutor of the church and he's willing to save you if you turn to him. Also, if you have a family member or a friend who has been so hardened to the truth about Jesus, who seems impossibly lost, have hope. Because Paul's life shows that God can change the hardest of hearts and bring to life those who seem impossibly lost. Well, God changed Paul and made him a preacher to the lost. And Paul's role as an official witness to the Gentiles is further seen back in our passage in 1 Timothy. Again, 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 1 says, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by command of God our Savior and of Christ Jesus our hope. Now, an apostle is kind of a, a strange word that we don't use much today. An apostle is referring to a messenger. An apostle represents a person and gives that person's message to someone else. There were different kinds of messengers in the Bible, but Paul was among a special group of apostles that only existed during the New Testament church period. Verse 1 says that Paul was specifically an apostle of Christ Jesus. Paul represented Jesus, and he gave the authoritative message about Jesus Christ to others. In Ephesians chapter 3, verse 5, it says that the mystery of Christ was not made known to the sons of men in other generations, but it had been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets. The apostles had been given the unique authority to proclaim the first divine truth about Jesus Christ. And because of that, Ephesians 2.20 says that the church was built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets. And this role as an apostle was not something that Paul had volunteered for. Paul had not gone to uh, an apostle's school. There was no apostle's university. Being an apostle was not something that Paul chose himself. Now, 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 1 says that Paul, 
an apostle of Christ Jesus, by command of God our Savior and of Christ Jesus our hope. Paul was put in his role as an apostle by the command of God and Christ Jesus. Paul did not put himself into this position, but was appointed by divine decree. Paul was an apostle for one reason and one reason alone. The Almighty God ordered him to be an apostle. Which means that Paul's letter to Timothy is not a casual letter with some suggestions and tips about uh, how to run church from one friend to another. No, it is Paul, as a messenger from Jesus, giving divine directions to Timothy on how to do church. Paul represented Jesus, giving Jesus' instructions to Timothy, which means this letter right here has authority. To disobey this letter is to disobey Jesus Christ. To rebel against the instructions in 1 Timothy about how to do church is to rebel against the Creator of heaven and earth. Which means that as we walk through 1 Timothy in the upcoming months, we must study it with a humble and submissive attitude, being fully willing to believe and obey everything that it says. Some of the things we will find in 1 Timothy go directly against what our culture says is good. Some of these things in this letter go firmly against what many religious systems say is true. And some of the things in this letter may prove uncomfortable and hard for us personally to accept. But these instructions come from an apostle, an official representative of Jesus Christ. And if Temple Church is to be obedient to Jesus... We must believe and obey everything that we find in this letter. Now before moving on, look back briefly at how it describes who gave the order to put Paul into this position as an apostle. Again, 1 Timothy chapter 1 verse 1 says, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by command of God our Savior... And Christ Jesus, our hope. God is described as God, our Savior. God is called this three different times in 1 Timothy, and we find that description common throughout the Old Testament. Christianity, as we mentioned at the beginning of the service, is not a religion about how to save ourselves. It's not about pulling yourself up by your own bootstraps. It's not about doing enough good things to be saved or avoiding enough bad things. Christianity is not about how to save yourself. Christianity is about how God saves. From beginning to end, God is the ultimate designer, initiator, and source of salvation. People need to be saved because all of us have sinned 
have disobeyed God and therefore deserve eternal punishment in hell because of our sins. But God decided to make a way of salvation. And God made that way by sending His Son, Jesus Christ, to earth. Which is why in verse 1 it says, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by command of God our Savior, and of Christ Jesus our hope. Jesus is our hope. He is our hope because He came to earth and lived a perfect life in order to be the perfect sacrifice for the sins of His people. Jesus died to pay for the sins of all who would trust in Him. Jesus then conquered death by rising from the dead. And Jesus offers to save and transform anyone who turns to Him as their Savior and Lord. That is how God became a Savior and why Jesus is our hope. And that hope is not a flimsy wish that something will happen. It's not like our hope that the the Chiefs are going to win the the Super Bowl again this year, or our hope of, of getting a certain awesome Christmas present. Those hopes are unsure. They may happen, or we may end up disappointed. But if we have trusted in Jesus, our hope is an expectation that is 100% guaranteed. We can have a confident expectation of what God has in store for us because of Jesus. This should bring massive encouragement in a world that is severely lacking in hope. There was not a lot of real hope in the ancient world when this was written. And if we're honest, there's not a lot of hope in our world today. Our politicians, they fail us. Our justice system, it fails us. Our medicines, our science, it fails us. Our schools, our family, our friends, we all fail. Nothing around us gives true, reliable, guaranteed hope. But Jesus does. Jesus gives a sure, real, and lasting hope. God saves, and Jesus brings hope because of what Jesus accomplished through his life, death, and resurrection. And the fact that the ones who give salvation and hope are the ones who made Paul an apostle and had him write this letter should help us to trust that what we find in 1 Timothy is good, it's helpful, and it's beneficial to us. Now, I know we spent a lot of time on that point, but we're going to speed up as we go through these next couple of points. We next see... The audience, the audience, meaning we see who this letter was written to. It says in the first half of 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 2, To Timothy, my true child in the faith. The immediate audience, the, the person this was written to, was a man named Timothy. 
Timothy is mentioned many times throughout the New Testament as a, as a ministry partner and companion of the Apostle Paul. Timothy was half Jew and half Greek. And the letter 2 Timothy mentions that Timothy's mom and grandma instructed him in the scriptures and Timothy became a strong and mature and godly believer. You grandmas, mothers, and future mothers should take notice that Timothy became a faithful follower of Jesus in part because his mama and nana were willing to teach little Timmy about the Bible. Timothy is proof that you mothers and grandmothers can have a massive impact on the upcoming generations. Well, Paul met Timothy in Acts chapter 16, and Paul took Timothy under his wing. Paul helped train Timothy for ministry, and he brought Timothy on on many of his missionary journeys. In fact, many of the letters Paul wrote in the New Testament mentioned that Timothy was with Paul, and Paul often praised Timothy's love and faithfulness to the truth. Paul had helped train Timothy, had spent years ministering with Timothy. And back in 1 Timothy 1, verse 2, Paul affectionately described Timothy as my true child in the faith. Timothy was not Paul's physical son, but was his true child in the faith, meaning that he was Paul's spiritual son. Both Paul and Timothy were members of the Christian faith. They both had believed in Jesus. And because Paul may have led Timothy to faith in Jesus, or because of all the spiritual instruction that Paul poured into Timothy, Paul referred to Timothy as his spiritual child. And Paul was confident that Timothy was not a a faker, not a fraud, as he specifically says, my true child in the faith. Paul had confidence that Timothy was a genuine and a strong believer. And that confidence is seen in Paul's willingness to send Timothy out to lead different ministries and to help churches grow and thrive. In Acts chapter 19... In 1 Corinthians 4 and 16, Philippians 2 and 1 Thessalonians 3, it mentions Paul sending Timothy out to minister to churches that Paul was either unable to go to or didn't have time to stay with. Timothy was not a, not a normal pastor who stayed at one church long term, but was an apostolic delegate. Which is a, that's just a fancy way to say that he represented Paul and help bring Paul's authoritative message to the different churches. Which means that although this letter, 1 Timothy, was primarily written to Timothy, it has application to all churches. Paul wrote this letter to help Timothy understand how to teach people to do church, how to instruct the believers on how to structure and live in a church. And so Paul laid down universal principles that have informed Christian churches for thousands of years and give our church guidance as well. The opening greeting in 1 Timothy has told us who the author is and who the audience is. 
And the greeting ends with Paul giving a blessing to Timothy, which leads us to our next point, the blessing, the blessing. The second half of 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 2, says, Grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. In ancient times, people gave a, a pretty standard hello to each other. They would just say, greetings. But Paul would greet people with a blessing, with a, with a prayer for them. And Paul began his letter with a, with a triple blessing, a triple prayer wish for Timothy, saying, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. Paul desired for Timothy to experience and to continue to experience these three things, grace, mercy, and peace. Grace is God's undeserved favor and kindness. Grace is God's undeserved favor and kindness. It is God's free gift where he frees sinners from the eternal consequences of sin and continually transforms them into people who follow him. Mercy is God's tender compassion. Mercy is God's tender compassion. Where he frees sinners from their misery of sin. And peace... Well, peace is the results of having God's grace and mercy. Having this peace means that you have peace with God because your sins are forgiven and God is, is no longer your enemy. And that then flows into an inner peace in your heart and mind, an inner tranquility as you have been saved. And you don't have to live in, in hatred of God, hatred of others, and you don't have to live in fear of God's judgment anymore. Paul's blessing, his prayer for Timothy is that, they would, is that he would continually experience grace, mercy, and peace. And that he would experience them from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. Grace, mercy, and peace come from both God the Father and God the Son. They flow from the Father and Christ Jesus. Just as Paul's apostleship comes from God the Father and Jesus Christ, grace, mercy, and peace also come from both of them as well. This shows their unity. And it points towards the truth that we see across the Scripture of a thing we call the Trinity. That there is only one God who eternally exists as three persons, Father, Son, and and Holy Spirit. Well, Paul ended his greeting by saying this blessing, this prayer that Timothy would continually experience these things. And then Paul moved into the rest of his letter. But before we begin to jump into the rest of his letter in the weeks and in the months ahead, I want to briefly look at one more thing at the start of our study of 1 Timothy. Which brings us to our final point, the purpose, the purpose. Paul does not mention the overall purpose of his letter at the very beginning, but he does give a very clear statement about his goal, his aim for the letter in chapter 3. So please look with me at 
1 Timothy chapter 3, verses 14 and 15. <clears throat> Paul says in 1 Timothy chapter 3, verses 14 and 15, which is also printed on your bulletin, I hope to come to you soon, but I am writing these things to you, so that if I delay, you may know how one ought to behave in the household of God which is the church of the living God, a pillar and buttress of the truth. Timothy was in the city of Ephesus. And Paul wanted to come there and, and help with the church that he had helped lead for three years. But Paul wasn't sure when he was going to be able to arrive, so just in case he was delayed, he wrote 1 Timothy so that the man that he mentored would know how one ought to behave in the household of God, which is the church of the living God, a pillar and buttress of the truth. Since Paul had sent Timothy to Ephesus to help the church there, Paul wanted to make sure that Timothy had perfect clarity on how people should behave in the church. He wanted Timothy to know how things were to run and how the church was to be organized. He wanted Timothy to know how believers were to act and conduct themselves as part of a church. And so Paul wrote this letter to give Timothy answers. Paul wrote this letter to help Timothy teach how to do church. And if you look throughout 1 Timothy, you will see that authoritative and life-changing teaching with crystal clarity. As we walk through this letter in the months ahead, <clears throat> we will find out how the church is to deal with false teaching. We will see what the church is supposed to proclaim and teach. We will learn about God's willingness to save and change sinners and bring them into His church. We will examine warnings against rejecting Paul's teaching for the church. We will see how important prayer should be for the church and how we are to pray. We will study Jesus' position as the sacrifice and mediator for the church. We will come to understand some things about men's and women's roles in the church. We will learn about the official leaders and servants of the church and what the qualifications for those positions are. We will see how to understand people walking away from the church. We will see the importance of, of focusing on the scriptures in the church. We will learn how to, how, to, how to treat different types of people in the church and how to take care of people in the church. We will learn how to think through paying or disciplining some church leaders. We will see how church members are to avoid focusing so much on money and how they are to instead pursue living a righteous, loving, gentle, godly, and faithful life. We will learn major truths about the head of the church, the King of kings and Lord of lords, and we will learn how church members are to think about self-discipline, marriage, food, and dealing with your boss at work. We will learn all of that and much more as we dive into this authoritative message from an apostle of Jesus Christ. If you want to know how Jesus wants you all to do church, then stick around for the next few months as we dive into this amazing letter. Lord God, we, we thank you 
for your willingness to speak to us. We thank you that you have not left us in the dark about how we are to function as a church, but that you have given us guidance. You have given us direction in your word. I ask that you would help us to submit to what your word has to say, that we would look to it and that we would trust in it as the final authority on what to believe and what to obey. We thank you, Lord God, that you you have given us your Son, and he stands as the head of the church. We thank you that he is both leader and redeemer of the church. I ask, Lord God, that if there is anyone here who has not yet turned to that leader and redeemer, who has not yet trusted in Jesus as the one to save their soul, I ask that you would work in their hearts today that you would lead them to salvation, that they would turn to your Son and trust in Him alone and be saved. We thank you so much for your love for us. We thank you for your Son. And in His name we pray. Amen.